The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. Hi, listeners. It's Jen, and I just wanted to say we had so many thoughts about Dr. Sleep that we decided to split this episode in two. And so this is actually part two, and you're going to want to go back to part one of the episode. That's where we have our synopsis. That's where we have our feelings check. And that's where Mike gives a lot of um, really interesting information about treatment and recovery for addiction. So go ahead and listen to that and then come right back and hear part two of this episode. Thank you so much for joining us and I'll see you soon. Bye. Um, well, and so now let's let's talk about Dr. Sleep. And because we already mentioned this, um, maybe we can start with the depiction of AA in this. And that's really what, like I was the one that chose this one. Um, and I feel a little bit guilty for picking such a long movie. But the no. reason that I thought about it was because it has this depiction of AA. And it's one of the most realistic I've ever seen. It's not exactly what my experience was like. Um, and I, I've said this before, but I don't currently go to meetings, but I have had phases of my life where I did regularly go to meetings. I will also say every meeting is different because it is filled with people who are different and um but there are a lot of similarities and i yeah it's the biggest difference i think in what i see here is that i've never been to a meeting where it is a person on a stage we usually sat in a circle mm -hmm. and all kind of looked at each other that's kind of a minute difference but it also it feels a little easier to talk when you don't have to get up and stand in front of a crowd, you know? And so that is something that I think a lot of times is used because it's framing a scene rather than yeah. it's reality. It like feels the, like a Hollywood. So I see yeah. it in like every TV show. Uh-huh. They always get up. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I have like, you do have speaker meetings sometimes mm -hmm. where a person stands, but it's usually that that person is speaking for most of the meeting. But usually the sharing I've always done is from just wherever you're sitting, you just start talking or you sit in a circle and you look. But yeah, you do. Um, you get your first day chip. I have I have a couple of first day chips um, because if you relapse, you can get that first day chip again. You can always start over. It's fine. There, I've been to meetings where people have gotten first day chips many, many, many times, and it's never, that's always a great thing to get mm -hmm. that one day chip, you know? So I like that we see that. Um, and I think we see, like, I don't think they ever say that Billy is his sponsor, but I think we could assume yeah. in the book, it's actually Dr. John that is his sponsor. The musician? <laughs> no, the, uh, the guy that the watch, Bruce Greenwood. Bruce yeah. Greenwood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is, I like this. I've got some more to say, I think, about Dandy's Rock Bottom, but I think this is, this feels like a very welcoming depiction of AA, which has been my experience, you know? And it, if you're going to a meeting that doesn't make you feel welcome, try a different meeting, you know? Mm -hmm. I thought what was interesting about the way they portray Dan's recovery, and this was like the routine of it. And obviously, mm -hmm. one of the things they 
when they talk about addiction is like developing a routine because mm-hmm. like not having it can lead to restlessness, which can lead to kind of wanting to kind of pick up again mm-hmm. uh, or feeling like dysregulated. But what I thought was interesting was like the time jump. Like we see Dan hit rock bottom and then it's like eight years later. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that has changed in that eight years, it seems is like Dan has cleaned up his physical appearance. Like it's like, oh, there's actually bearded Ewan McGregor is also pretty Ooh. attractive as well. Let's He's be honest. Still my heart. Still yeah. pretty hot. Obi-Wan. It's hard to make you him attractive. Ewan yeah. McGregor unattractive. Yeah, just got to put him in like a Star Wars movie and give him that yeah. rat tail. The rat tail uh, did kind of kill the, the boner. Tail. It's an instant boner kill. Yeah. Oh, I was into um, it. Yank on it. Sorry. Well, <laughs> anyway. But what I found oh, was like, it's been eight years and he still lives in the same apartment. Mm-hmm. He still has the same exact job as the orderly. And it doesn't look like there are any new relationships in his life. Like it becomes, mm-hmm. it feels like Danny is like hyper focused on keeping that routine and anything that diverges from it could topple the apple cart very quickly. And I found that really fascinating. Yeah. Now, 85 bucks, a, was it 85 bucks a week for that room? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I might not. It's a good deal. If that's rent controlled. If it's rent controlled, I might not want to leave. That was a fucking awesome. Like I said, looks bigger than my apartment. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's got a chalkboard wall. Yeah. And it's sweet. And not obnoxious chalkboard wall. But it was just that routine, that like not deviating from it. And Billy was the same thing. Like Billy was also doing the same thing eight years later in the same kind of boarding house. Um, Yeah. And I found that like a real, not a lot of attention was drawn to it, but I found that like a fascinating detail. Well, I think in the book, there is a lot more, not a lot, but there are more details in the years in between. I think a lot of that, like we said, if this had been a Netflix film, I think we could have gotten an episode where we see, because there is a really powerful kind of scene in the book where it's about three years into his sobriety and he's driving and he passes a bar Mm -hmm. and he feels tempted and he pulls over and he calls a sponsor and he says, hey, I'm feeling tempted. Or it's not even a sponsor, it's somebody else. And just saying it is what, helps him not go in and drink I think the the really hyper focus on routine I think a lot of that you know everybody is different and whatever you need to do that's fantastic but I think a lot of that like once you get past your first year of sobriety I think people start to relax that a little bit like there's the the kind of thing where you're not supposed to date somebody mm-hmm. within your first year because it is an unknown quantity and it could you know and I did start dating my first husband before he had a year sober and he didn't last too much longer after that, but that's a whole <laughs> another conversation for another day. I just think it's a, there's overlap with, you know, again, addiction doesn't exist in a vacuum. As mm-hmm. somebody who has got her own share of mental health problems, routine is really important to me, too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a generally, I mean, I know my therapist always recommends it, you know, trying to provide as much structure in your day as possible because, you know, whether or not you are abusing air quote substances, routines help you from getting dysregulated, mm-hmm. I think is, mm-hmm. a, is an important takeaway. And, you know, and I know COVID again, not to bring this into the present day, but such a massive disruption in everybody's life and routines, you know, it's sort of there, all those ODs and addiction numbers have really skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Yeah. 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 I would, I would say like, it's to me, what drew me in was less like the, Oh, he has a routine and more how there was like, a lack of any sort of change in his life. Yeah. Like same yeah. apartment, same level of employment eight years later. 
Are you saying that it's interesting in like a maladaptive way? Like maybe it's a little weird that he hasn't. Uh, maladaptive might be a little bit too strong, mm-hmm. but I would. I kind of wondered if he felt like if he, because I think that would be too, too strong and judge, judgmental to say. Well, that's a bad thing yeah. because of because it might have been what Dan felt he needed to do. Because for Dan, it's not just his addictions, but also like the demons that live inside of his head. The, like literal yeah, well. demons that are in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it is interesting, too. And that is pretty similar to the book is that he, it, you know, not that it's all about a romantic relationship, but the fact that he doesn't seem at all interested in any kind mm. of romantic relationships. Yeah. I think part of that for the movie is just there's already so much in this film that mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it just would have cluttered it. But it's also not really present in the book, too. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, but there's um not just romantic relationships, but there doesn't seem to be any relationships of any. Maybe Billy would be the only one, but there's yeah. not a lot of relationships. And like you said, we feel like Billy is his sponsor. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be his. The only other relationship that's of any importance, as we see in the movie, is one that's for the first half of the movie conducted over a chalkboard. Yeah, through telepathy. Well, and I. I I think if I were to dig in a little bit, I think eight years out, that might be a little extreme or a little, again, maladaptive, I think feels a little strong, but maybe edging towards that. But Mm -hmm. I think also when you are in recovery, there's a fear, I think, of socializing with somebody that might make you want to drink. You Mm -hmm. know, like I've, I've talked about, I moved earlier, um, and I moved on to a street with a, a very social um, neighbors and they are fantastic and I love them, but they all drink. And that was something I was not used to at all. And it's been fine. I'm far enough down that I can hang out with all of them and it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. But if I were a year out of, if I were a year sober, it might be a different story. Yeah. So I think, and I think sometimes there's a tendency to get stuck in that fear like this might become a, tr- it's like what we talked about with triggers. It's like, you don't want to reinforce the fear, you know, but also, yeah. you know, like you said, whatever works, you yeah. know, as long as you're living a life that makes you feel happy, you know, but, um, another thing that I think I wanted to talk about, we talked about Billy and Dan, and I wanted to mention this too. This might go down the road to what I said we're going to come back to in later episodes but Billy is so supportive of Dan and he gives Dan like right off the bat this person who clearly needs help he gives him that help Um, and I think that is fantastic here and he does it because he kind of has a bit of the shine and he gets in um, he gets a good feeling but I want to say too especially like saying this as a woman like that might not always be the safest way to support somebody and you don't have to do that like you still need to maintain personal safety boundaries you know like yeah you know and I, I just felt like that there's something I want to mention because I do we you addicts do need support but they don't need support at the cost of your own safety and so mm-hmm. just keeping that in mind too. But Billy's just so fucking sweet. I just yeah. Love Billy him. is like a baby, sweet baby angel, you know. I and this, know. this, he does just the level of unquestioning support. I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because it he does have the shine. So he like kind of intrinsically has a feeling about Dan. Like I don't think he would do that with just anybody that right. got off the bus. Some rando, yeah, yeah. There's that sense of paying it forward. With Billy, mm-hmm. I don't think that Danny is the first person he's done this for. I think that's even mentioned 
Yeah. I think the landlady is like, ah, you still owe me because of the last person. But I think, you know, like Dick tells Danny to pay it forward. Uh, mm -hmm. And Billy is someone that is kind of living that that example that mm -hmm. he is like someone at some point helped me get through a really hard time in my life. And therefore, I'm, you know, try to help other persons get through a really hard time in their life, which I think is a really beautiful way to kind of live yeah. one's life. Yeah. I think that that when that moment with Dick speaking to Danny to pay it forward, um, like that you still owe a debt. I found that really resonant and moving. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much everything that happens in that those hospice rooms, I, I feel like there's some really moving scenes in there and that is among them. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a, a part of AA too. Like there's, I, you know, I haven't gotten that far in steps, so I'm probably going to butcher this, but like there is the thought of like, you get support from people who have experience with sobriety. And then when you have experience with sobriety, you help the people who are newly sober. And it's just that, that continuing offering of support. And there's also like gifts of service. And that is a way to focus on something bigger than yourself, you know, which is kind of what we were talking about. But um, yeah, I do. I find that scene really moving. And when I think about what Dan does as his job and like his gift, what he needs to do is help people pass on. And like the saying, the AA saying is, is like living life on life's terms. And part of that is accepting that death is part of life and that these are inevitable things that are out of our control. But finding peace with that you know he's able to help people do that which is part of you know part of the way i think he keeps himself yeah. from drinking so it, yeah it is really pretty really beautiful i i one of the things i really appreciated when watching this too was the contrast between like the turning the true knot in dan in terms mm -hmm. of like how they approached giving solace in a person's last moments mm -hmm. i think of the moment where Dan was able to like pull memories from the persons he was working with and the person could see their wife or they could one gentleman could see their twin boys. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the men was saying like, I'm not afraid of hell because I've lived a good life. What I'm afraid is that there's nothing, which is, mm -hmm. you know, I've said this before is a fear of mine. And mm -hmm. Dan obviously with this experience could be like, well, that's, that's not the case. But what he, instead of just saying, well, you're wrong, he was able to kind of like, give comfort to the person so that person felt okay with whatever the next step was going to be. Mm -hmm. And then you see Rose the Hat trying to comfort Grandpa Flick. And that scene is like, it's painful. Mm -hmm. And what Rose is offering are like memories of power. Like you've watched battlefields, you've seen empires rise and crumble into dust. You've seen mm -hmm. bloodshed, you've seen... Mm -hmm murder and, and people and it was were all about, afraid of you yes yeah. mm -hmm. it wasn't about comfort it was about projecting fear mm -hmm. and that she was not able to offer like a moment of solace like he died screaming and in pain mm -hmm. and that was a really stark difference and then obviously as soon as he dies he's consumed like mm -hmm. now like the yep. the others gather around and he immediately whatever like whatever he had left was taken in by them at that point mm -hmm. it was a really stark contrast and i think it illustrated the difference in dan's humanity versus like these psychic vampires mm -hmm. yeah 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 i found those moments of dan comforting the people like probably the most moving sequences for me 
because they're so human. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. what you want at the end is just that comfort. I always have this phrase pop into my head that's like a friend at the end. And I just hope we're all lucky to get that because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone dies alone. But maybe mm-hmm. if there's a friend, a friendly face there at the end, that makes it better. Yeah. Well, and I hadn't thought about this connection before, but like we're talking about a transition from one way of being to another, which is the way I think a lot of people can feel when they stop drinking. Like there's this fear that like, I can't live without this. Like there is nothing for me with, if I'm not drinking every day. And so him able to say, no, we go on, like, it's okay. You, you can get through this. I have, you know, there's a, a level of comfort because I mean, it, when you stop drinking, you're the only one in your body that feels it. And you might have support like you do. But like you said, we all stop drinking alone and we all have to make that decision on our own. And it just like finding a way to make that easier. That is what support for addiction. That's what AA is about. It's about saying other people have done this. You can do it too, even though it is really fucking scary, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you what's on the other side, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's very important, no matter how you slice it or what mm-hmm. form you choose, that sense of community or yeah. a friend or somebody, a shoulder. And it's interesting because the True Not is all about, ostensibly about, like, being bonded together in this hippie commune. Mm-hmm. But they, they're they a dysfunctional family, yeah. like right. wildly dysfunctional family. Because they feed off of other people, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was really trying to make this metaphor of like, is the true not addiction? Is the true not yeah. substance? And I think I could stretch it real thin and make it work, but. It feels like know. they were going for it because of the literal. I mean, to me, the scene where it really felt like they were attempting that is when Rose is ready to go into like the final battle mm-hmm. and she's like sucking down all the vape juice of the mm-hmm. souls you know and it's like it's like they literally have this substance that they keep in these jars and they can't go on without it but I don't think it really holds as a metaphor yeah. if you start to examine it because I was like wait is that what they're trying to say and then I was like yeah. uh, no no uh, yeah it feels like an underlying feeling mm-hmm. you know it just felt like we needed a generic villain Honestly, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it goes much deeper than that. It's just like, we need some sort of villain. And there is like, I think there's, before you see it on the screen or before you read it on the page, if you're just told like, there's going to be a group of like psychic vampires that feed off the energy of the children that shine and they're going to travel the country. It's like kind of like a roaming gang of, you know, roaming gang in RVs. You're like, that actually sounds pretty cool. And then when you see it executed, it's just really clunky. It involves yeah. bad hats and uh, <laughs> aged out alternative rockers. Yeah. And then you're like, eh, not so much. Yeah. I, again, I think if this had been a show and maybe they'd had like, not to throw the costume designer under the bus completely, <laughs> some some different approach to the aesthetics, maybe it could have been developed into something more interesting. It was just so hard to take Rose seriously flying through the night in yoga pants and a top hat. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I was very impressed with the way he did the internal things because reading mm-hmm. this book, so much of it happens inside the minds of characters. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like with Gerald's game, I was like, how the fuck are they going to do that? Yeah. And, and I the, do the think visual effects were, were pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I really mm-hmm. liked how they sort of um, tilted rooms, you know, and had yeah. people go yeah. in different and all that kind of Again, it was just like, why does there have to be this thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Disrupting how cool this is, you know? Yeah. I just, oh. when, when, 
when like Rose compels like Snake Bike Annie to tell the truth, like tell the truth, like you're the prettiest woman I've ever seen. I'm like, really? I almost had like a Michael in Arrested Development moment, like her. Like her. <laughs> oh, oh, I love her. But then uh-huh. again, I feel like that's one of those that feels very Stephen King dialogue to me. Yeah, it's one of those yes. moments where like doesn't always work. Yeah. yeah, there were a few moments where I was like, I could just, I haven't actually read the book, and I, I just was like, this is Stephen King dialogue, just yeah, put, totally. shoved into people's mouths. I yeah. wonder how it might have worked if all the turning knot were actually like Grandpa Flick's age. Persons that are like That would have been kind of cool, actually, like if they were all like... To, yeah, they would have died decades ago, or, you know. Yeah. And um, they are older in the book, like they're kind of supposed to decrepit. be more senior citizens, who yeah. get younger periodically, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like the witches or hocus pocus rules, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so kind of getting there's one more thing that I do want to talk about with kind of AA adjacent sure. is is I want to talk about this concept of rock bottom mm-hmm. because that is one of the most powerful things I find in the book, and I think the movie does a good job of it, but there's a piece missing that I do want to talk about. Um, and so we see Danny's rock bottom, which is this incident where he wakes up in this woman's apartment. And that plays out pretty much like it does in the book. And in the book, he talks about this fear. Like, this is the fear that plagues him throughout. And it's always this secret that he can't get rid of. And he feels so ashamed of it. And it just clouds everything he does. And one of the final scenes of the book is him sharing this moment in a group and he stands up and he talks about it and he is so afraid to do this. And this was the thing that was really, really powerful for me when I read this is that he was, there's, he's talking about like saying this thing that has just been eating him alive for like probably a decade and noticing that people in the room are bored and Mm -hmm. they're like checking their watch and they're like, no, nobody, nobody cares as much as you do about this. And so the, Mm -hmm. the ability to release that, really kind of like, I don't know if I have a one moment that is a rock bottom, but I've got a lot of shame that I've carried. And that kind of got me along a long way towards releasing that. I also think it's important to say that nobody forced him to do that. Like he didn't have to stand up and say it. People encouraged him to, and people told him you'll feel better when you did, but Mm -hmm. he waited till he was ready to share about it. I get why the movie does not include this, but that's that's the one part of the book that I absolutely love that's not in the movie. So, and this concept of rock bottom is something too that like it. I think it's kind of a misconception is that you hit rock bottom and then you go to treatment the next day, you know. And that's like it. It really is just kind of something that lives in you, and it's like the the focal point of shame, you know. Mm-hmm. And it could be a lot of different things. And odds are, it's not as bad as. I mean, I don't know. Lots of addicts like to like compare rock bottoms in their minds, you know, and they're like, oh, well, rock bottom is pretty bad. It is pretty bad. Yeah. Um, But I I mean, I don't know. A dead woman and her toddler. That's usually not. Then took her money and didn't call anyone to come look for the toddler, at least or anything. (laughs) And then the ghost of the the ghost of my shining friend critiqued, you know, gave me shit (laughs) for it. Like that is. 
far as rock bottoms go, that's that's a good one. It's, pretty, it's a pretty big one. Yeah, but and I, maybe what I mean to say is your rock bottom doesn't necessarily have to be the worst thing right. you have ever done in your life. It really yeah. is just kind of like what you were saying, Mike, the person is the expert. Yeah. And it's more important how you feel about it. That's yeah. what makes it a rock bottom. You know, it might be like your ability to kind of like dig yourself out of that rock bottom. Like yeah. worse things might have happened, but you have more resiliency to kind of work through them. Yeah. Or it could be the thing that you remember. And mm-hmm. there are other things that you don't because you were blackout drunk, you yeah. know. So I don't know. But I just think this is a really interesting portrayal of that and something mm-hmm. I I see from t- a writer and a filmmaker who have been there as opposed to people who have an academic understanding of it. So mm-hmm. um, I also love just the line, the memories are the real ghosts. You take them with you. I think yeah. that's just beautiful. Yeah, I loved that. And I love sort of the portrayal of memory. I think there was a really interesting theme of memory. You know, everyone has these sort of filing cabinets in their head with their memories. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is related to the lockboxes that Billy, or God, that Billy, uh, that Danny (laughs) uses to to capture those ghosts. It's kind of like compartmentalization. I think Mm -hmm. that in my own therapy and journey and all this shit, like there's been a lot of box-related imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to put things in the box and, you know, they're still a part of you, but putting these borders around it helps contain it yep. and it lets you examine it safely versus having it just running amok in your brain. So I don't know. I I think it was obviously also played for dramatic effect to get all these, you know, creatures and ghosts to appear back at the overlook. But I do think that there's something interesting there. Oh, yeah. I've used lockbox like thinking in my own therapy, too, you know, and it's worked really well. And I think the important key for me there and actually once my therapist started talking about it, I was like, oh, my God, it's like in Dr. Sleep. Yay. And so it helped me visualize it, too. Like I picture mine in a a hedge maze, um, which is interesting considering what a lot of (laughs) is going into my own lockboxes. But the thing that was kind of key for me in that is that. I, at first, I was like, well, if I put it in this box, am I repressing it or am I like ignoring it? And she was like, no, no, no. You know, it's there and it's you're just putting it away for a time that you can go back to it safely, you know, which is kind of what you said. But yeah, that was that was a key for me because I also like there was one time where when I was living with my first husband, I like found myself mentally just putting this really painful memory on a shelf, kind of like what Danny tries to do with this rock bottom thing. And like, just like, nope, I'm not going to think about this. This hurts too much. And that was what fueled a lot of my addiction. And so I think acknowledging that these things, these boxes exist and that they're here, I think is an important piece of that too, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the shining. Yeah. Shall we? I I mean, not the shining, the overlook, because that's actually, we could talk mm. about the shining and the overlook. I mean, obviously they're they're interrelated. What I what I thought you might be going for is is that sort of duality that we touched on where mm-hmm. the shining is about active addiction and your fears of what addiction can do to the people around you mm-hmm. versus the journey of recovery, which is what I felt like doc the, the central theme of Doctor Sleep was. Yeah. Yeah, and the shining is so 
isolating, you know, that is such a like solitary book. Like they're a really small cast, like, and they're all very much isolated from each other. Even Danny and Wendy, like nobody really understands what Danny is going through. And I feel like, and it's all located in basically one place. And I feel like Dr. Sleep is so much the opposite of that. Like it's yeah. all over the country. It's, it's sprawling. got, yeah, it is sprawling. Yeah. And I think that shows like, there's always been this through line of King's work of like connecting with other people and that that is what really overcomes whatever evil is in the story. But I think here it's really powerful. It's like when you are able to be honest with other people and share your pain and talk to people, then that's what heals you, you know, which is what AA is about. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. It's also, I mean, like the journey of Dr. Sleep ends back at the place where he where it all you know again where it began where it started and I think that there's I know the book like the overlook has already burned down you know because Mm -hmm. that's how the book The Shining ends but I I actually liked you know the metaphor of this like having having to confront the last thing in the box that you hadn't really taken off the shelf because I think boxes can be you know good and bad you know we we can use them like the clear containers from the container store to to compartmentalize and help us, you know, keep keep things from overtaking us, but they can also be places where, you know, they just become the 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 uh opaque plastic thing that you shove in the garage and God only knows what's in there and why does it smell bad. Mm-hmm. So I think like, you know, going back to the overlook is is really f- finally opening that last box that hasn't been sorted through completely. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. And I really I do like the way it all kind of it's it's that it all plays out. I think especially when he sees his father again, who has become the bartender. Mm-hmm. I think that was a really interesting yeah. moment. And that is not in the book. Like I actually like the movie ending better, I think than the hmm. book. And, I, I mean, I don't know. Don't know. Marrying, <laughs> he's marrying Kubrick's The Shining. With right. King's The Shining slash Dr. Sleep. Right. Like I think he was, it's a very intentional way to try to sort of again make peace with these two things that have become so divisive in in the public imagination which i think is a really nice like poetic gesture for making peace with your own demons in a way yeah um i don't you know i mean there's probably a lot of people who don't like the way that that plays out in the movie versus the book but i think it i do think it works at least as a conceptual gesture yeah i appreciate that henry thomas is not playing jack nicholson as jack torrance mm-hmm. i think you, in easy movie you could have hired christian slater and have him do that and you would have gotten like mimicry i felt like you were getting jack torrance in that moment and not just like aping somebody else's mm-hmm. performance i think what danny at the end of this movie gets the ending that jack gets in king's mm-hmm. novel which is like a moment of redemption for Jack Torrance, where he's the one that fires up the boiler. He's the one that fights off his inner demons. He realizes what has to be done. And that ending is given to Danny in this. In this novel, as I remember it, Jack kind of helps Danny. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really beautiful moment. I think it is like the humanity of Jack Torrance is kind of redeemed a little bit in death because he's finally able to help his son out. Yeah. this the scene between Jack and Danny, like it was a tough watch. The two scenes here, because I think the director's cut 
adds the bathroom yeah i don't think that's in the original it was a really hard watch and i think for you know danny says it out loud like you're not listening to Mm -hmm. me um everything that like danny is telling him like this is the pain that you caused my mother and i this is the grief you caused and then he spills out the story about like watching his mother die Mm -hmm. and when he was 20 and not being able to look at her just like he could see her face was or was covered in black flies mm-hmm. because that she knew. And not only was it painful because he's pouring his heart out to the bartender who's not listening to him, but it was also painful because he's like, this was your wife. Mm-hmm. Like, you were the two that were supposed to raise me mm-hmm. and you don't have any interest. And, and I was thinking about this before we record, like, is that Jack Torrance or... Is it the hotel doing mimicry? And that's why when Jack is like, well, I don't, you're saying that I have this wife. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Like, is it because it's the hotel and not the ghost of Jack himself Mm -hmm. at that point? Um, But I found that scene like really moving and difficult and cathartic. Oh God, me too. Yeah, this, this felt like, like seeing a confrontation I'm never going to have with my own dad, you know, mm. and I might, I don't know. I'm not going to have it anytime soon. Cause I'm for a million reasons, but like, I agree with you because I feel like I like the humanity that Jack does have, I think a little bit more in the book, but what I like from this is this doesn't, it's, it's not that it does or doesn't feel like Jack Torrance for me. This just feels like my dad. Like, he's not going to hear me if I say this. He's mm-hmm. I've kind of had to make peace with the fact that he's never going to see it my way or understand what I'm telling him or how he has affected me, which is what I think we see Danny realize, you know. And as what we're watching this, it's it's like it's not about – Jack hearing him it's about Danny saying it you know and that was kind of my like okay so that it doesn't have to be about my dad hearing it for me too and I also think it's a moment where like there are two moments in the film where we see Danny almost take a drink and I think those moments are really powerful and I I did mean to talk about the one with Billy and I don't want to sidetrack us but like I I have often thought that like if anything ever happened to my family I'd just like drink myself. I would like leaving Las Vegas myself, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we see Danny wrestle with that and I think here is another reason and or here's another moment where he is tempted to do that and Jack here I love the reframing of the take your medicine thing, you know, yeah. because it, here he's saying this this is what makes it feel better. It doesn't last very long, but in the moment it does and yeah. Oh, sorry. There's just a lot of feelings in that scene. That that yeah. scene is the one that really fucked me up. And that yeah, that really, got to me. Yep. Got yeah. to me too for then, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have recurring nightmares of my dad who passed when I was 19, of him still being alive, mm. but always being disappointed in mm. me. It is a very common theme in bad dreams I have. I don't have them a lot, but when I have them, when I have bad dreams, that's usually what it mm-hmm. is. And Dan, in this moment, he gets to do something we call like this, the empty chair practice, Mm -hmm. where basically you'll say to someone like in in counseling, like if that person was sitting in that empty chair right now, what would you say? Mm -hmm. And it can be really cathartic to say those things. We're doing that in my next session. My therapist told me. Oh, dear. (laughs) I know. Like perfect timing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think 
another thing that I wanted to mention is the the fear um like when the hotel does get into him and he does mm-hmm. start chasing Abra and their confrontation in room 237 and there's this moment of like the 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 both times I say you don't know where you're standing and mm-hmm. that really hit me this time I don't think I'd really noticed it much before but Abra is saying to the hotel like you are inside Dan you're not inside Jack. Dan has spent eight years trying to improve himself. And there's this fear that I have that I'm going to become my father and that I'm going to, you know, fall into these same patterns because that's what I grew up seeing, you know, and you know, my dad's not an alcoholic, but you know, anyways, that's just a fear that I have, but my therapist is always like, yeah, but the difference is you're actually trying to get better. And that's what we see Dan do. And that's Mm -hmm. what makes the difference. And I think that's why Abra is able to reach him, you know? Yeah. I would agree with your therapist. Like I would, would say like the fact that you're acknowledging that his behavior is a problem and that's something you don't want to fall into and are actively taking steps. So you don't goes a long way to making sure that you have a better outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, book jack i feel like really honestly wants to and i think maybe he might be in one of those earlier phases you were talking about it he just he doesn't have the tools he doesn't have quite as much desire i think he's in the yes but stage he's like yes but we're in the hotel for the winter what can i do yes but i have this novel to finish yes but we really need the money right now Mm -hmm. like that's the phase that he's in there's always like something and i want to say like it doesn't necessarily have to be addiction Mm -hmm. that people fall into this for like i'm thinking of a person i work with you know or persons i work with where it could be anything it could be like your relationship is causing you trouble how much do you want to see that improve Mm -hmm. and then okay well what is stopping you from doing it and then like here all you know for every reason there is to make a change here are three obstacles mm-hmm. that you put in and i know that like there have been times where i've said to someone like i i don't know if i can work with you anymore because i don't think you want to make a change i think what you want is someone to spill all your problems to and you can go to the bar and do that and have a bartender like listen to your problems mm-hmm. like that's what they get paid for that's not what i get paid mm-hmm. for and i can be really glib when i say that but you know some people like don't really want to make a change they just want others to feel bad for them mm-hmm. yeah yeah you need to be that will get me in trouble with some listeners <laughs> i can already see well i i think a, maybe a kinder way to say it i guess or like a different nah. a, a different way to say it is you know if somebody isn't ready to make that change like you you can't just sitting in a room with a therapist isn't gonna right isn't gonna make them ready if they're you fundamentally yeah. these things have to be at least partially self-motivated you know yeah. you have to be the vibe ready to make yeah. the change the vibe I've gotten in that case has been like, well, I'm here, aren't I? As if just like being in the room is like the cure all in and of itself. Yeah. So. And it's not. And there there are people that use AA for a lot of reasons that are not really to get better. Just because, every, again, everybody is a human being and they are going into this program taking all of their baggage and all right. of their personality. And yeah. yeah. I could also just be really shitty at my job. I mean, <laughs> just be. No. No, I did have a, um, well, my first husband, we were in therapy and she suggested, mm. kindly suggested maybe he shouldn't smoke pot all the time. And he just mm. got up and left. And, you know, if you're not ready, yeah. you're, there's not a whole lot somebody else can do 
to help you get ready. You can, which is, you know, maybe goes into another Al-Anon kind of conversation that maybe mm. is not a conversation for another day. There's one more thing I wanted to talk about. And it's, again, something that I didn't recognize in the movie until I watched it last night, probably because of the therapy that work that I've been doing recently. But just talking about hiding his shine and hiding who he is and thinking and it's I don't think this was intentional, but like the parallel with the the true not seeming to have kind of this searchlight, you know, and if Abra raises her head too much, they're going to find her. And that is dangerous. Like being herself is dangerous. And that was one of the dynamics that I grew up with in my house was that like my dad sometimes seemed to be looking for a reason to get mad. And if I was noticeable, I might become that reason no matter what I did. And I don't say that to go down another road of, you know, my dad, but I say that to say how much internalized shame that developed in me and that was a big part of the reason I drank because I was just constantly afraid of raising my head and being who I was. And when I drank, I wasn't afraid of that, you know, cause I didn't think about it anymore. And so, you know, and I think that's a very human thing, you know, whether it's in a family setting, whether it's, you know, you're queer and, and kids, you know, are bullying you for it. So you hide your true identity. I think, you know, uh, internalizing, how other people react to you, whether they're right or wrong, you know, that shame doesn't go away overnight. It's something you really have to acknowledge again, to take it out of the box and and put it into the light so Mm -hmm. that you can, so that you can work on it and and be your, your authentic self. Because if you're, if you're not being your authentic self, you know, you're always going to feel, feel like something is missing. Yeah. Yeah, there's this kind of one of the common threads with a lot of addicts is this not deserving to be happy or mm-hmm. not deserving to have nice things. And it was the small thing, but I have this memory of sharing in a meeting once about like getting new boots and being afraid to wear them because I was afraid I was going to mess them up. And like, I didn't deserve to like enjoy this thing that I had. And it just was like so many people laughed and they were like, yeah, me too. <laughs> and it was just one of those moments of like, it manifests in so many different ways. But that is that feeds a lot of addictions it's like just feeling bad about who you are you know right and nobody should feel bad about who they are because we're all great is there anything else of us most of us are great yeah (laughs) the three of us people who do who need to feel shame are are not capable of it so totally if you can feel shame see our narcissism episode (laughs) yeah i wanted to talk briefly about outcomes Mm -hmm. and the difference between Abra's family and Dan's upbringing, because I think it's really fascinating how you saw two very different childhoods and two very different outcomes at that point. Like Abra is like a really wonderful Mm -hmm. character and a really powerful character. And you see right away, like she comes from like a really loving family background. Like I wish that her mom, like Jocelyn Donahue plays the mom and I love her and everything I've seen Mm -hmm. her in. Um, especially like House of the Devil. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish. Oh my God, that that's that same actress. Out. I didn't make that connection. Yeah, wow. Insidious 2, yeah. um, bunch of things. I wish she had more to do here, but it, same with Alex Esso, who plays Wendy mm-hmm. Torrance. But it's also not their movie, so I can understand where, like, yeah, it's just good to see them in anything. Mm-hmm. But Abra has like two parents that love her deeply. Mm-hmm. They don't always understand her. And they are a little bit afraid of her, mm-hmm. but they also accept her. And I think that that, 
at the end of the movie, what was really powerful was like when Abra like lies to her mom and is like, I, I wasn't talking to anyone. And then she stops herself and is like, actually, she's talking to Danny and he's still here. He's still present. Uh, and dad is too. The only thing I wish, I wonder if like, if her dad who died trying to defend her could or couldn't appear to her like Danny could, like can only people who shine appear to you in the afterlife. Cause I think it would have been like a, a visually striking moment if like the dad had appeared behind mom's shoulder mm-hmm. or something. There was just something yeah. I really wanted yeah. to see, yeah. but like her mom is like, Oh, okay. And accepts it. And it's like, well, let's go have dinner. Mm-hmm. And there's like so much love in that family. Yeah. And I think that's why when you see like, Abra is like of even before they know she shines when she's like telling the musician like I know how you do this and I can do this and the parents are kind of laughing about it they're not like shut the fuck up kid mm-hmm. and it was, she's like so healthy and that's why I think throughout I look back at like Danny in The Shining and he's often hiding mm-hmm. or looks terrified and I think a lot of that comes from like having this really domineering parent that's abusing him and mom mm-hmm. and here. There's never a moment where Abra like doesn't take the fight to the persons that are actively trying to harm her. And I think a large part of that is just like, even if her parents don't fully understand her, they always support her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that was like a really wonderful contrast between what we see in like the, the shine. Yeah. And I think it, she is still, she does still struggle with the same things that Dan does. Like she still feels bad about the fact that her parents are seem to be afraid of her so these dynamics can exist in really well-functioned otherwise well-functioning families but i i agree Mm -hmm. i do think it is a striking contrast that she has this support that is able to like she feels safe saying that to her mom whereas danny would never have been able to say that to his dad you know and there's a lot more to that story in the book that i don't want to spoil because there are some key plot things that are not in the movie that kind of relate to that. So I would highly recommend reading the book to listeners because there's, there's a big old thing that I'm not going to say, <laughs> but that relates to that. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we move on? I think I'm good. I think we're good. All right. So let's briefly mention any other mental health topics we see represented in the film. We're not going to dig too deeply into them. We just like to mention things when we see them. And I think this one, there's not a whole lot of extraneous things in this. I feel like it's very addiction focused. Um, I want to mention like suicide really is Billy is the only thing I'm thinking there. But I do think it exists. And then trauma, which I'm thinking of Snakebite Andy. Like she could have her whole, her own whole episode if this were a oh, Netflix yeah. show that I would I was- watch. I was like very interested in her as a character. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, she's really she. I find her more interesting than Rose. You oh, one hundred percent. Rose yeah. is like just full of hot air. Like, what yeah. is even your deal, <laughs> Andy? Was you know there was something to to latch onto there. Yeah. Is there anything else we see? Yeah, just Rose is just a really weak character. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just like knock that hat between the accent, the hats, the yoga. <laughs> Just, that is her actual accent, though, isn't it? Rebecca Ferguson, isn't she Irish? Yeah. I just have a crush, just I have a like crush on her. <laughs> yeah. Just everything I hate yeah. <laughs> all distilled. The RVs. Yeah. Fucking hippies. I did look up There's RVs a, and I was like, that seems pretty big. 
Oh, that, the I think world's that was biggest be RV when they went inside. I thought that was so silly. It was like yeah. there was a hot tub in here and like a full. <laughs> I think that was meant to be a glamour. It's oh, like, like the a, like a I, do, I that's how I read it because it was so over the top huge. Uh-huh. Um, it was kind of like in Harry I was Potter, just they say. have the tents <laughs> and they open up the tents. But they, yeah. I feel like they needed to push like, that just a scotch further. Like it's yeah. a big palatial estate or something. But no. you know, yeah, we don't not gonna like nitpick this. Robert Leach and lifestyle, right? Of the yeah, rich and famous there's like a the Michael Bay mansion for yes, some drug yes. dealers and they. Yeah. Well, let's um, mention any other movies we see addiction in. And then obviously we've mentioned The Shining um, and Midnight Mass, which we have a Patreon episode exclusively about and that we talked about Mm. in our last episode, probably a little more. And I said Gerald's Game, which it's the recovery side of that is feels very similar to me. Not Gerald's Game is not really about an addiction, but she jesse has the same mental struggles or similar mental struggles it's also mm-hmm. mike flanagan stephen king joint so. yeah anything else there's also um eduardo sanchez who co-directed the blair witch project did a movie i think in 2011 called lovely molly mm. uh which is really creepy mm. and it is about a woman that is recovering from narcotics i believe moves back into her childhood home with her new husband and very creepy shit goes down and she may or may not be possessed. She may be in withdrawal. Um, it's called lovely Bali. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like not found footage. It's a narrative tale with some discovered footage in it. Um, I remember that giving me some chills when nice. I watched it. I it's due. I'm due for a rewatch of it. I would love recommend that one. And I, I don't know why that just reminded me, but I forgot to mention last during the last episode on addiction was um, the film Resolution. Yes. Which I thought would have made a good episode. Maybe that's one to potentially revisit because it is yes. it's very, very much about that, like down to the the title of the film being, you know, mm. being resolved yeah. for something. Uh, you know, so I can't even remember a ton about it because it's been so long, but it's the same guys that made The Endless, mm-hmm. um, kind of indie yeah. horror darlings. But I loved Resolution. Mm. I think I like Resolution a lot. Yeah, Moorhead and Benson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was probably my favorite thing that they've done. And there's a speech that the character uh, that's like it is giving in that about why he suffers from addiction and how he just wants to be left alone. And it's really fucking powerful. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. Oh yeah, that that's one we definitely should look at. Yeah, at I think point. you guys have God, mentioned yeah, that before too. Well, it's a good movie. I am a Benson and Moorhead stan. Yeah, uh, I've loved everything they've done. I enjoy them too. Yeah. Well, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. Um, This is where we share any grounding and coping techniques or any self-care that's been particularly effective for us. Grounding and self-care are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the hard days or the hard moments. And self-care is anything we do that makes us feel good or makes us feel better. And Mine, I don't know, mine might be weird. I've talked about my obsession with snow recently, and it just snowed twice in one week. We got multiple inches, which is a rarity in Nashville. Like, we usually get one or two good snows a year. And usually, I'm like, I got to get out there. I got to get in the snow. I got to step. And this time, I just was not feeling it. I absolutely loved looking at it, and I just, like, opened every like window I could not like you know my blind so I could see it and I just kind of stared at it all day long but I was like I don't want to go outside I'm warm I just want to look at this so it might be weird but my self-care was like 
not putting the pressure on myself to experience this thing to the fullest in a way that didn't feel like something I wanted to do, you know, because there was a big part of my brain that's like, it's not going to snow again this year. You got to go outside. You got to be there. And I just kind of let myself not do that and just stayed with my warm shoes and, you know, in my pajamas. And it was just really nice. And I still feel like I enjoyed the snow, you know, and it was kind of this moment of like, I don't, maybe I just can't, like, I just was listening to my body in that moment. It was like, I'm warm now. I want to stay being warm. So totally. yeah, that's mine. But it was beautiful snow. I just died. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Watching this today, I was, I was watching Dr. Sleep and it was, it's been very cold and we had some snow about a week ago, but you know, it was just very, very bitterly cold a few days and felt just right. It felt like the right movie to be watching <laughs> for mm -hmm. this weather pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, I've just been trying to, in spite of the bitter cold, move my body more. I think coming out of November when I was sick with non-COVID, but it took me out for a while there and um, I felt motivated to move my body because I had gotten so stagnant and was really feeling the mental health effects of that. So I think I've been doing okay at just not putting too much pressure on myself to do anything extravagant like it doesn't have to be a full-blown workout but like every day do a little something I I bought this like $20 digital stretching program so that I would feel psychologically motivated to do it versus just random YouTube videos you know that I didn't pay for so I've been doing that and on the days when it's not too horrifically cold walking and just making myself move a little bit get the blood flowing again and it it, it does make a difference I it's it's a stark difference so my self-care is, is movement without any kind of heavy pressure on it. Like you didn't do enough, you know, mm -hmm. you didn't really get your heart rate up for X amount of time. Like those kind of really regimented things, just mm -hmm. moving. I don't really have much this week. I got to be honest. Like it's been a long week. Mm -hmm. I just have felt the blahs. Like it's cold. It's dark. Mm -hmm. It's cold. <laughs> it is. All of those mm -hmm. things. Just, we had like a nice snowstorm on Friday and school was canceled and it was wonderful. <laughs> and I, the only thing I can say like that's positive is like after using the snowblower, like I can understand and titan like why the main character wants to have sex with machines because <laughs> I fucking okay. love my snowblower so much. If you're going to say your self-care is, is wonderful. Um, the snowblower. Blow yeah. Yes. Snowblower, I just met her. <laughs> I just want to say that like snowblowers are wonderful and I love them. It's made my life so much easier and I just want to hug it and tell it it's my friend. That's really yes. it. Like I, It's honestly, I just feel... Like I, my wife and I were just kind of like lying in bed earlier before we recorded. I just looked over. I'm like, what a boring fucking weekend. And she's like, yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, just kind of a case of the blahs right now. Yeah. So I'm risking COVID to go see Scream like three times in theaters Woo. next week. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like. I'm excited. Roll those dice. Yeah. This is the season for blah times i feel yeah. like yeah. you know every every year i'm like why am i still living in this climate <laughs> zone why do i do this to myself <laughs> yeah um well we want to hear from you i normally have little pithy com questions here this one i had a hard time finding anything pithy about this one have you ever been to colorado what do you think of the shining what do you think of dr sleep just tell us what you think <laughs> <laughs> 
What was your worst hotel story? Oh, there we go. That's oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. Um, and you can answer all of these questions and more by following us at Psycho A Pod on all the socials. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group. It's a private and moderated group where we can share about episode topics, mental health stuff, or anything else that's on your mind. And you can also email us at psychoipod at gmail.com if you want to share privately. And I'm calling an audible, our homework question. I really like that. Tell us about your worst hotel experience. Shall we change it to that? Yeah, that's Awesome. Tell us about your worst hotel experience. Um, Look for that prompt on Saturday. And yeah, so what are we watching next? Well, we are going to have another comfort horror episode for you. Coming straight for you on the Horror Express. Choo-choo. Um, no idea if that thematically fits the movie. But yeah, oh, we are, it does. <laughs> we're going to be joined by online editor for Rumor, Grocco Thompson. And he's going to talk about Horror Express, which is going to be a first watch for me. And I am very excited to check it out. And he's just a delight. So I'm excited to talk to him. And in case that's not enough of us for you, Mike, what's going on in the world of Patreon? Sure. So you can go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast, where we're posting bonus material every month. But we have like bonus shows and like sometimes we'll do a movie and talk about it. Sometimes we'll do Q&As. I think tomorrow this month we're doing like what our top five films of or for 2021. We try to do different things like I think February we should do Cobra Kai season four. Down. Just having fun and loose with it we get to kind of cut loose a bit Mm -hmm. and then we also depending on the tier we have like different analyses of horror characters in the things they go through as well as like our medicine chest which are like what we're recommending you should watch read or listen to that month tier starters load oh and if you're at the 50 dollar tier you get to pick a movie and or a topic that we're going to cover in a future episode. We're like scheduling all those out right now, which is exciting. Uh, this month was a patron pick, the addiction uh, topic, and the movie The Addiction was a patron pick from Cosmo. Um, so yeah, go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast and give us your money. Yeah. Yes, give please. it to us. We want it. And we'll give you some stuff in it. return for it. Yeah, it's know, not just... That's how it works, but yeah. We're not just robbing. Yeah. Yeah. Not the kind of like shady stuff you would get from like a drug dealer in a back alley. Or a wallet inspector. Or a wallet inspector. (laughs) He's not the one. Sorry, I'm not going to quote entire Simpsons episodes. Um, (laughs) All right. (laughs) Let's wrap up with some plugs. Mike, where can we find you online? And what's, you mentioned Scream. What's coming up for Pod and Pendulum? You can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian over on twitter i'm no longer in facebook i've been banned because my account got hacked really? and someone posted like 30 jihadist memes oh, like wow. all in a row so and i'm like i don't even want to get my account you're back like thank you point. sir all right thank you say so, yeah so that was that was interesting wow. um i got a text from my wife like did you join some groups <laughs> did you join that... isis <laughs> yes the answer is yes but Mike underscore Snoonian, where you can find me over on Twitter, being a wise ass. And you can find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum, wherever you get your podcasts, um, where we cover franchises. We're wrapping up January with Scream. And we are doing Child's Play starting mm. in February. So good times 
will be had by all. Nice. Laura, where can we find you? You can find me uh, on Twitter at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. Much like the stuff you wear under your pants, which if you think about it, it's like a little hat for your genitals. <laughs> that's it's like at. penis the hat, right? Yeah, penis the hat. That's that's what like, you should call your penis. Yeah. If you have one of those, I guess. It is a psychic vampire. You know? yeah, it is. It is. It's got, it also releases in steam. So that's the uh, life right out of Okay. That's not how penises. They don't release steam. That Am was I a jizz. I was, I was trying. Have I was I trying to make a jizz joke. All this time, a cum, a cum, a jizz. All this, oh my goodness, a joke. Uh, that's at underalls u n d e r l l s on Twitter. Don't look for me anywhere else. Leave me alone. <laughs> Mind your business. Um, business <laughs> and you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of social places and you can also find me co-hosting the Losers Club which is all about Stephen King so if you liked this episode check out the Losers Club because there's lots mm-hmm. more of that um, and also the White Ladies in Crisis podcast and we are doing some fun stuff over there we're going to talk about well I don't know if I can say yet, but we're talking about a movie I'm super excited about. So check that out. And also writing lots of places. Um, I mentioned the piece that I wrote about this. I've got many more. I tend to write about Flanagan stuff, you know, and just feelings and horror. Yeah, so that's me. And that's our episode on Dr. Sleep. Thank you so much for joining us. One more huge shout out and thank you to Cosmo for choosing this topic. And thank you to, I know this was an episode where I talked a lot about my feelings. And it's funny, like of all the podcast episodes I've ever done, the fact that I'd never covered this this movie yet felt very surprising. So I'm glad to finally get a lot of the stuff off my chest. And I, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the way this one turned out. Listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we're all out of bubblegum. You've been the bubblegum all alone. Take your medicine, which is bubblegum. It's also what steam bubblegum flavored steam. It's the best. <laughs> what if, like, the steam came out, but like bubbles, like bubblicious oh, instead? Oh. Yeah, if that was, and then, and then they were all like pulling long strings of bubblegum out they're, of people's mouths. They're all just like Bart Simpson wearing his like little evening gown with his pipe that shoots bubbles. Yes, yes. And then at the end, when like she has to like instead of like ingesting cans of steam, like she's pulling old gum from under the railing <laughs> of the RV, <laughs> eating it. It has their essence. <laughs> oh. There's still flavor. Juicy fruit. <laughs>